Tonight we're just going to consider one half of one verse, so I will simply read it to you. The first half of Psalm 118 verse 22 says, The stone which the builders rejected. The stone which the builders rejected. We're not super familiar with stone as a building material. That's what this is talking about. Building techniques and materials have changed over the centuries. Just as an example, in Guilford, Connecticut, the oldest stone house in New England now serves as a museum, and it's called the Henry Whitfield House. It was once the home of, Whit, of Henry and Dorothy Whitfield and their nine children. It also served as the very first church in Guilford in the early 1640s. And after the church was built in town, the Whitfield House was still sort of the fellowship hall, both for church functions and for any community functions. The house is still there. And this is 400 years later. Why is it still there? Well, when it was built, there was so much naturally occurring stone in the area that they decided to make the walls two feet thick. And so it's going to be there for a long time. But these particular stones are held together with the homemade mortar that they used from the materials readily available there in the Connecticut area. Lots of little stones held together, lasting a long time. But when we think about stone structures in ancient times, it's very different than that. Large structures were built with foundations of stones, but these were huge, massive Stones requiring no mortar, but because they didn't require mortar, they did require a perfect fit, absolute perfection. Stones were brought from wherever they were quarried. They were quarried nearby, and then they were examined very carefully. The foreman, or the master builder as he was called, and his team would make a final decision as to whether each stone was worthy and fit to be used. And if the stone wasn't finished properly or the corners not perfectly squared, then the stone was rejected. And all of those poor men who carried it all that way, they just had to take it back apparently. This is exactly the imagery that's used in Psalm 118.22, the stone which the builders rejected. The context of Psalm 118 tells us that this stone represents a person. And in fact, this person is in a difficult situation. Verses 10 through 14 say that this person, this stone, is in the middle of a ring of enemies. All nations surrounded me. They surrounded me. Indeed, they surrounded me. They surrounded me like bees. They pushed me down violently to make me fall. This person, this stone, is being rejected by the builders. The identities of both the stone and the builders are clear from Scripture. The stone, the rejected person, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Psalm 118 takes on a prophetic note. In Matthew 21, Jesus identifies Himself as the stone which the builders rejected. In 1 Peter 2.7, Jesus is the stone which the builders rejected. Isaiah 28.16 calls this a costly stone, a tested stone. In other words, Jesus is the best of the best. He's the very best that could be. He's the precious stone. He's the stone, the foundation upon which Israel should have been built. The perfect stone. But instead, he was rejected. 
And who are the builders? Well, let's place the builders in their proper relationship to the stone. And I'd like to visit some scenes between the stone and the builders to show what their relationship was. Jesus Christ is co-equal with God the Father and God the Spirit. When God acts, it is in complete concert agreement between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Whenever God the Father is acting, this is in complete agreement. Whenever God the Son is is acting, this is in complete agreement. Whenever God the Spirit is acting, this is in complete agreement. Jesus said to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so when we consider interactions between God and the builders, it is always interactions between the stone and the builders. I'd like to consider some scenes between the stone and the builders, seven scenes that we'll just visit very briefly Stopping in for a couple of moments each. Scene one we'll call the stone's rescue of the builders. The stone's rescue of the builders. The children of Israel, God's chosen people, they had been enslaved in Egypt. Now they've been there for 400 years. God providentially preserved Moses as a little baby to be brought up in the courts of Egypt, but eventually to flee Egypt to go to Midian. And in Midian, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. This is a pre-Bethlehem, pre-birth, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ himself. And he appeared to Moses in the midst of a burning bush. And the angel of the Lord said to him in Exodus 3, 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And, And now God makes a declaration to Moses. And Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. So now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me, And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now come and I will send you to Pharaoh. And so you shall bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And he did it. He did it. It is a phenomenal, miraculous act. He took them out of Egypt and he began to have them trust in him in the wilderness. He rescued them from their oppressors in grand, miraculous fashion with ten plagues. And how about this, going through the the Red Sea rather on foot. There was no doubt that this was Yahweh, the stone, rescuing them. Scene two, we could call the stone's care of the builders. The stone's care of the builders. The people were still not used to trusting God. They were desperately worried that they wouldn't have water, so they grumbled against Moses. Exodus 17 records, So Moses cried out to Yahweh, saying, What shall I do to this people a little more, and they will stone me? Then Yahweh said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you and there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. And water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now the Apostle Paul made an analogy about this rock from which the water came. 
he identified who was taking care of Israel out in the wilderness. In 1 Corinthians 10.4, Paul says that all of Israel drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Christ, the rock, the stone, was following them, caring for them. We could call the third scene the stone's love for the builders. The stone's love for the builders. When the second generation of Israelites were preparing to enter the promised land, Moses was very careful to teach them and to train them in God's law, in the ways of the Lord. We have this teaching as the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses taught them why they even exist as a nation in the first place, why they're even here on this planet. In Deuteronomy 7, he explains to them, For you are a holy people to Yahweh your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for His own treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. Yahweh did not set His affection on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because Yahweh loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your fathers, Yahweh brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, God had sworn to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob that a nation would come from them and that he would love them, he would cherish them, he would care for them. And Moses is explaining that the reason that Israel exists, the reason they're rescued from slavery, very simply, because Yahweh loved you. And this is the same love that the book of Hosea extols that Even though Israel rebelled for century after century after century and rejected God, rejected His ways, that even then He would continue in His plan for her and continue to love her. And God pleads with Israel to return to Him, to receive His grace and His goodness. In Hosea 12, 6, God pleads, Therefore, return to your God. Keep loving kindness and justice and hope in your God continually. This is the stone's love for the builders. We could consider a fourth scene, the stone's prediction of the builders. The stone's prediction of the builders. In Matthew 21, Jesus told a parable, and the parable is about the builders and the stone. Only in this parable, they're called the vine growers and the sun. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. And put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers, the builders, and went on a journey. Now when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his fruit. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them saying, They will respect my son, the stone. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Do you know how Jesus identifies the son who was killed in this parable? Matthew 21, 42, Jesus calls this son the stone which the builders rejected. 
And Jesus predicts to those who are continuing to reject him over and over again, he predicts that they will be party to his death. Luke 20 verse 19 records that when the scribes and the chief priests heard this parable, they tried to seize Jesus, quote, because they understood he spoke this parable against them. That's the stone's prediction of the builders. There's a fifth scene we could call the stones weeping over the builders. The stones weeping over the builders. Eventually, the leaders of Israel officially rejected Jesus. And therefore, judgment and punishment was decreed. But Jesus loves Israel. And and just like a father is saddened when he has to chasten his child, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept over Israel. Very familiar to us in Luke 13, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent Those sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you did not want it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now Jesus has decreed that Jerusalem would be made desolate and that a a nation wouldn't see him. They wouldn't see him as a people until they acknowledged him altogether. And just a few decades after the death of Christ in AD 70, Rome so completely destroyed Jerusalem that it was utterly unrecognizable as a city. There's a sixth scene we could visit the stone's betrayer from the builders. The stone's betrayer from the builders for three and a half years. Jesus spent every day, every night with the 12 men he chose to train for ministry. And yet one of these, Judas Iscariot, he eventually revealed his own heart that the only reason he was with Jesus was the hope that Jesus was going to bring in the kingdom of Israel, bring the kingdom back to the glory it had once enjoyed under David and under Solomon. And Judas was hanging around to make sure he would have a major position of power. He was staying long enough for Jesus to become king. But once he understood that Jesus had no intention of overthrowing Roman rule and seizing power immediately, Judas turned on Jesus. Judas arranged for the leaders of Israel who hated Jesus to know right where Jesus would be the night before Passover. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas betrayed Jesus to them. Matthew 26 records, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up. And with him was a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. And immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And listen to this. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Jesus had never done anything to Judas. He had only been kind, only been gracious. Jesus had spent day and night with Judas these past several years. You can't spend that kind of time together without developing a bond at some level. But for Judas, it was fake. It was a fraud. It was nothing. Jesus was a means to an end for him. And so in the ultimate pain from a friend, Judas betrayed him. We could consider a seventh scene. We'll call this one the stone's rejection by the builders. 
The stone's rejection by the builders. When Jesus was on trial with Pontius Pilate, Pilate wasn't convinced that Jesus was guilty of anything. So he appealed to the crowds which the chief priests and the scribes, the elders had gathered and, and, and they had whipped them into a frenzy, persuading the crowds to call for Jesus' death. And Pontius Pilate asked the people, and keep this in mind, the people whom Jesus had rescued from Egypt, cared for in the wilderness, loved before she was even the people, wept over her rebellion and been betrayed by one of his brothers. This people that the stone has been loving all the way back to Abraham. This people gave answer to Pilate. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil did he do? But they were crying out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. So these are the builders. That nation that Jesus has loved since God first created her all the way through Abraham. Isaiah 53 serves very much as a confession. It's a prophecy written seven centuries before Christ and yet it reads in the past tense, very interestingly, as if the event of Christ's coming had already happened. But it's a confession by broken and repentant builders. Broken and repentant builders looking back on what they have done. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3, speaking of Jesus, looking back prophetically. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised. And we, the builders, did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, meaning we judged him as being punished by God as a sinner. We judged him as a sinner. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace fell upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has caused caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. What did the builders do with the stone? They murdered him. They murdered him. And yet it was the very death of Christ, prophetically given in Isaiah 53, that was the substitute sacrifice to atone for, to pay for the very sins of those that were murdering him. The builders murdered the stone. So the question would be, are there any, is there any hope for the builders? There's another prophecy that does give hope for the builders. A future hope that God will open their eyes to what they did. Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David... And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. The builders will weep over the death of Christ. They will repent of having rejected the stone, who has done nothing, nothing, nothing but love them. They will repent as a people. The builders will weep over the stone they rejected. But here's the bigger question. 
will you? Because I have one more fact about the builders. 1 Peter 2.24 says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, so that having died to sin, we might live to righteousness. Here's one more fact about the builders. You're one of them. You're a builder. Jesus died because of you. Will you or have you wept over your own sin? Have you mourned that Christ died because of you? Listen to the reason Christ died for the sins of all who would mourn their sin and be sorrowful before the Lord for their transgression. Here's his reason. Hebrews 12.2 says that you must fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising, meaning enduring, not worrying about, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is the joy that's set before him? Here's the joy. Hebrews 2 verse 10 says that the joy of Christ is that he is bringing many sons to glory. That's his joy. That he's purchasing from God the Father many whom God would have judged. But now because of the cross of Christ, yes, you are a builder, but the stone offers salvation. Salvation is free to repentant builders, but it costs the stone everything. Here's what it cost him. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our Father, we are stunned by these words that the Lord Jesus Christ left His place of glory. He left His place of marvelous light where the angels worshipped Him and where He enjoyed perfect communion with God the Father and God the Spirit. And He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On the cross. May these words pierce our hearts even as the nails pierced his hands. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.